watching the Directing Animation Livecast, hosted by me, Scott Weiser. I've worked as either a director or animator on more than 30 productions, both short and feature length. And my favorite projects have been these books, which I wrote, illustrated, and pitched at several studios as a feature film. Actually, our guest today, Brenda Gilbert, I pitched these projects at her studio, which was a wonderful experience. It was wonderful to be an animator there, and uh, I'm very pleased to have you today, Brenda, on our show. Uh, go ahead and, and say hello. and. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and thank you for having me on the show, Scott. Yeah. I'm honored, very honored. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. So I hope it's okay if we take care of a few laundry items. I actually am going to be hosting or moderating a couple panels at the CTNX, the Cartoon Talent Networking Expo, the animation expo in the industry. And so they gave me some free tickets that I can yeah. share with audience members. I have eight one-day passes. They're just floor passes. And then I have two four-day passes. The way that our viewers can enter to win those passes is by subscribing to the channel and by commenting on this video. So, And I look forward to responding to your comments. I love, always love interacting with our audience members. So, Brenda, as a bit of an introduction for you, you can add anything that you'd like to add to this. Brenda co-founded Braun Studios. She's the BR in Braun. And uh, I, unless I'm wrong, I, that's what I'm guessing. But <laughs> uh, Scott. Braun produces not only live action features, they also produce animated features, and they have a really nice blend going on there. I Again, I worked there as an animator, and it was a wonderful environment, wonderful place to be. Is there anything else you'd like to add to your to your intro there? No, that was beautifully done, Scott. Thank you so much. <laughs> Great. Awesome. So one of the reasons I've created this show is to create conversations that will help the industry become a better place and help artists and directors be able to create better productions for their artists. And, and obviously, I want to uh, direct a feature as well. I remember back at Braun having a com conversation with Cam Dillon Josh, and she talked about how she observed you for quite a long time and how you'd always make decisions based on how they affected people. And I wanted to have a conversation about that and, and hear more about your philosophy behind that. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was interesting. When I actually did the pre-interview with Cam, who's our um, uh, senior vice president for human resources, as I said, the people are the essence, the crew are the essence of our studio and for each project. And I don't like politics. I don't like bureaucracy. Yeah. It's, it's um, you know, we're not a, a standard studio system where there is this sort of delineated hierarchy. Obviously, you have to have leads and supervisors and things like that to move things along in terms of deadlines and quotas. But the reality is everybody contributes. And it's really, really important to understand that whether you're you're a production assistant, whether you're a lead or if you're an animation supervisor or an executive within a company. I think that's that's what people forget about. And even if it's the custodian that's cleaning up after you or cleaning up after you in the kitchen. And when I was doing this pre-interview with Cam, I had said to her is that regardless of who you are and what your experience is, is that you have to check your ego at the door because mm -hmm. it's really the people, again, I want to really emphasize this as the people is what makes the studio that contributes to the overall culture within the studio and the intimacy and the, the long hours that are worked are so important in terms of everybody working together in such a manner. And it's such a collaborative environment. So mm -hmm. it's, it's really, 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 important not to negate from everyone's contribution. 
And that's a really refreshing attitude. I, I heard a business owner one time that said, your greatest problem as a business owner is your people. And that really rubbed me the wrong way. I thought, yeah, you're going to have problems when you're working with people, but they're your greatest asset. And if you think of them as a problem, then you suddenly treat them differently. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. If they're not a problem, if anything, they're the solution. Yeah. What are what is a good example of a situation where you had a you had a, a problem to solve where it could have affected people negatively and you made but it also I, I, there were other factors that also you know you were trying to weigh them and you made the decision based on people. Well, the the thing is is you know um, as an owner, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you you do management and emotional management as well, mm-hmm. and the key to that in any leadership position is that not to have an emotional reaction to something. Also, taking a step back and having objectivity and and really hearing both sides of the stories, not just necessarily having opinion that you hear from one person. Mm-hmm. And how you resolve it is think about okay. If these people are, if there's a problem of some sort and somebody has a complaint, they're coming to you with a complaint is asking them the question also. So the objectivity, number one, but also asking the person that's having the complaint is, what do you think we should do here? What do you Mm -hmm. foresee? as a solution and it's not firing or terminating a person but just really figuring it out and making sure that they're part of the 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 solution as opposed to just uh, <laughs> bring problem to you so yes yeah. and it takes a lot of patience and it takes a lot especially when there's you know our environment our industry is very stressful mm-hmm. so yeah. i understand people can get angry and upset and things like that um but also taking the time to listen to people which is really key yeah. Oh, that's great. There's a lot of stuff there, too, that I'd, I'd like to unpack. <laughs> you you talked to, I, I think that really connects to what you said earlier, where you, you don't really like politics or bureaucracy. And I think what happens in those kinds of environments is it's like you, people are left out of the room. They're left out of the conversation, where it sounds like yes. what you like to do is bring people into the conversation and make sure all the voices are heard before you make a decision. Is that, is that what I heard? Is that correct? <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that, you know, just bringing people to the table is very, very important, making sure that, you know, your table is not confined to a square, but you can have extensions to that table where people feel that they have a place to sit at. So you can add additional, not only extend that table, but also add chairs at that table. Yeah. So people feel that they have that voice at the table and that they're able to communicate, you know, their opinions, their perspectives, their feedback. Yeah. Well, it is very, very evident throughout your company as well. I remember that I had Vanishing Inc. Hold it up. This book sitting on my desk there at Braun. And I think it was Joe Parton came by and he, he saw it and he said, oh, you should pitch that with us. I didn't even have to ask. It was, it was just it was remarkable to me that that actually happened because at the other studios I pitched at, I had to ask. And then Adam Wood came by and said, Hey, is that your project? You should pitch with us. You know, it was like both. And that happened within, I think the first week of me being there. And it, it just was a very different feeling from the other studios I've been at. And I think other, other studios will even say like your people are your greatest asset, but, and, and everybody from the janitor to the accountant needs to have feedback on the film, but I hardly ever see it in practice the way I saw it at Braun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So 
Yeah, it's it's important not just to say something, but actually, you know, do something about it and practice it. I yeah. think that's key is a lot of people will talk about things, but it's important to give people opportunities to give them platforms because artists, particularly in our industry, they need to be stimulated all the time and they have all great <laughs> ideas. They really yeah, do. They do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, with soccer and and foosball tables and parties and oh man, I loved Braun. It was so great. Yeah, and we have ping pong tables too. Oh yes, there's a ping pong table. I remember that. And coffee machines that run all day. That's right. That's right. And you can make hot chocolate in them too, so you can make all kinds of different variety of drinks. That's right. Which uh, <sighs> you know, the first week I we had those machines it wasn't so good because I was having a lot of lattes and hot chocolate. So. I know. <laughs> I know. I realized that I had an addiction to candy when I kept running into the same person at the candy cabinet. <laughs> and then that person made a lunch, like they forgot their lunch one day and they just filled a bowl with candy and just ate it. It was a great memory. <laughs> so yeah, back on the serious matters. <laughs> I, I also liked that you said that it takes a lot of emotional investment to do something like that. When I, when I left Braun, I became a creative uh, director at a company where I was helping them to build a creative team. And it wasn't really in animation. So I'm glad to be back in animation now. Yes. But it was very interesting that when a problem came up, I found myself calling maybe four people to kind of get different angles. And it's, it is very exhausting. How are you able to do that? Because I had a team of about 10 people. How are you able to do that when you have 200 employees or, or more? I think that, you know, I always know how important people are to me that are working within Braun. And I have time for that. Like, I don't think... <laughs> you just say that. I have time for that. <laughs> well, you yeah. don't... The thing is, you don't say, I don't have time. Right. And you don't feel that it's going to consume you because I'm also a problem solver. And mm -hmm. I think that just being open-minded and listening to people... Again, I know I may be redundant in, in our conversation today, is how I deal with it <laughs> is just having the patience to listen to people because you never know also what can happen from some of these conversations. And it yeah. doesn't have to sort of stem from a complaint it can be advice it can be a new perspective it can be feedback yeah <laughs> that's great i love that okay so on on the subject of producing how much producing do you actually do um on the animation side more so okay. on the live action side it's a little bit difficult i am on i try to get to our live action sets at least once or twice during the duration of the shoot it just depends on where we're filming in the world mm -hmm. um so to answer your question i mean i guess from one perspective it is it's a lot because we're already um you know uh, in production on a full-length feature film yeah and on the other side is um we're churning out a lot on the live action side of things and as you know Scott is production pipelines for live action versus animation are essentially like for us it's about like 35 to 1 <laughs> so. so 35 live action projects to one animated feature absolutely and that's that's yeah. both on the producing and executive producing side of things so uh, trying to do more producing it's just that there's only so many hours in a day yeah well producing at the at the animation level is really what, what we're here to talk about so I'm glad that's where you, where you do most of your work yeah so as a producer, what are the most difficult challenges that you have, the kind of the pain points, the, the things that are difficult? And then the second part to that question would be, how can a director help to fill in the gaps and do the work that needs to be done so that you can do the work you need to do? Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's interesting because as a producer and as a studio owner, you want to make sure that things are on time. 
Mm-hmm. Um, deadlines are met, quotas are met, and you also want to make sure that things are within budget. Yes. And <laughs> as we know. Yes. And so in terms of a director helping with that is we have to, you know, obviously have conversations with a director and say to them, um, him or her, say to them that, hey, you know, you realize that if we have a creative vision or you have a creative vision, that sometimes when you make changes that they can have um, um, implications financially downstream and otherwise. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's one part of it is, you know, making sure that the director understands that if they want to change things along the way, um, that they sometimes aren't also quick solves and also having the financial implications. But the other thing is a good director also knows how to communicate creative decisions, creative vision to the crew. And you can't, essentially assemble, you know, a crew of 120, 150, 200 or whatever it may be all the time, (laughs) but, you know, making sure that the leads understand what's going on. If there are changes to be made, understanding where those changes are coming from, what it's stemming from, how the story has to change slightly, or even making a change in terms of the talent that are attached to particular Project. So I think it, and, and, and also again, being weary that there are deadlines and quotas and, and bids that have to be met. So I think that's really, really important. So, but a good producer and a good director have to have open co- communication as well and work yeah. together. How often are you communicating with the director? Quite candidly, not as much as I would like to. Mm-hmm. Between traveling um, back and forth to LA, we have an office in Los Angeles that has almost 30 people there right now, um, and 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 just you know busyness of life and things <laughs> like that. So, um, you know, I should be uh, quite candidly directing, or pardon me, communicating more with the director. Yeah. And, and um, that, that's why you have a few other producers also there that are in Canada on yeah. site. And, and and can do that. But you're also, I mean, I'm communicating with our producer that resides on the island. Awesome. Thank you, Brian. Well, and I appreciate you being very candid. At the same time, it, it does it does harken back to your point that you have you have to have very clear communication, ability to clearly communicate something. And sometimes having that limited amount of time amplifies your need to communicate it very clearly. So maybe that's actually a benefit to you. I'm not sure, but, (laughs) 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 but yeah. Okay. Awesome. So we, I actually emailed Brenda the questions beforehand and we, we don't need to get into the specifics of financing a film. So I rephrased the question. If you still have an issue with this question, we can we can pull back a little bit and then reformulate it. I'm perfectly fine with that. <laughs> so it is so difficult to get one movie funded, as I found. I've been pitching at, at several studios. I've pitched with investors. I've tried several different angles of getting a film funded. And Braun has you know, funded over 50, you know, how how many, what's your number now? (laughs) It's uh, a little bit more than that. Um, We, we have a slate of deals, uh, pardon me, a slate of movies with Warner Brothers, MGM and Lionsgate. So Mm -hmm. if you don't mind, Scott, I'll just explain a little bit. So we reorganized the company a couple of years ago. So it's Braun Media Corp as a parent company and the subsidiaries are Braun Animation for animation, uh, Mm -hmm. Braun Studios for live action content and Braun okay. Creative, which is our financing arm, where we don't oh. take a producer role. 
yeah. and, and we take an, you know, we're an executive producers on it. And that's where our, um, slate of movies with the different studios also are under that umbrella Braun creative. And that's where something like Adam's family would tie in, correct? That's right. Adam's, okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, cool. So the second part of that question is what makes a film project worth it for you and worth it for Braun to produce oh, it? Oh my goodness. It starts, <laughs> it starts the story. Yeah. You know, I think it's really important that it's compelling, that can resonate with audiences, that it can travel. There's some universality in terms of the themes that it has. You know, that's what's really, really important. Also, sometimes when a, a story or a project is pitched to us, is sometimes there's wonderful writers and directors already attached to it that you want to work and collaborate with, mm-hmm. or there's actors that are already attached and just their vision and how they're not just their buy-in, but just how passionate they feel about something and also we you know we don't take any unsolicited scripts but we sometimes do things with um, other co-producing partners time and time again just because the relationship is great we have trust in them we also have trust in the types of projects that they want to do and also we we do that with talent so we we've, we've done this three times with Jason Reitman as well in terms of <laughs> the projects that yes yeah so with Telly the front runner and also with ghostbusters as well interesting oh great what makes it worth it because so sometimes it seems like at least the word on the street is it seems like you have you have films that are have a really great story that never get off the ground Mm-hmm. And part of that is because now this is the word on the street. You can correct it if it's wrong, but it seems like the film industry right right now is focusing highly on marketability. And so, how do you reconcile the the great story with the marketability? Um, and sorry, go ahead, Scott. Oh no, go ahead. Yeah, that's that's a good enough question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure we're, you're having more questions going. I can see it. I can see the wheels spinning. Right now. <laughs> they are spinning. <laughs> um, yeah. ter- you're, you're, you're right. In terms of the marketability, is it's, it's also a different place than it was 10 years ago when we mm-hmm. officially opened up shop in October of 2010. And right now, um, which, Scott, you may not know, is we do have a marketing department that resides in Los Angeles. So we mm-hmm. have a chief marketing officer. We have a VP of marketing. We have a wow. VP social media and we have a coordinator there um the reality is you know some of these stories really need to have the visibility that it deserves and so making sure that marketing isn't an afterthought for these particular films and when i said and i alluded to the marketplace changing is that you know the traditional way of doing things in the independent film space was to roll that die take them out to festivals and sell there yeah now 10 years ago, maybe that would have been right, but we didn't have the prominence of all these different platforms that we do right now. And also the reality is consumers are wanting short form content as well. Mm-hmm. So thinking about all those things, I swayed a little bit in terms of your question with marketability. But to answer your question is we do have in-house uh, in-house marketing department and making sure that it's, you know, uh, it's first and foremost in terms of how we want to get the messaging out. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, if we want to make an awards play and things like that, or whether we want to have it in festivals or doing submissions and things like that. So, yeah, it's um, it's 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 re- it's really, really important. And also just having advocates um whether that's the talent that's attached to the the show or other oh, yeah. 
partners um, I think is also really, really important. Oh, that is a lot of great information. And I like actually the way you took it from the beginning when, when you started answering the question where you talked about how you need to know the marketing strategy right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I actually have been carrying that this with a lot of my friends who, uh, there was one example where I, and I heard this secondhand, he is a friend of mine, but I heard it from another friend. <laughs> but he's talking about how he's pitching with Amazon and he Amazon wanted a whole marketing plan along with a pitch. And so it does seem like that is actually a very important thing for people like me who are creating original pitches to actually have a marketing plan in mind from mm-hmm. the pitch. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it has to be a detailed one. It's just more yeah. so is what is your vision for that particular project? What are you trying to accomplish? So a lot of times when projects are pitched to us is I say, what are your goals with this project? And also who is your target audience? Do you mm-hmm. want this to be specifically in North America? Do you want it to be more adult skewed? Do you want it to be more towards mm. preschoolers? What what do you actually want to do with this? And how do you want it to resonate with audiences? Cool. Well, that's great. So kind of high level, not not in the nitty gritty, but just a high level, but, you could. but, I mean, but you clear. Could and also just making sure that you do your research as well as what else is out in the marketplace right now, whether it's something that is in the theaters or whether it's on one of the platforms. Cool. <laughs> fun. That's fun. And you you know how to play all of those. You've done the festival route. You've done the yeah. feature film route. You've done Netflix. You have uh, Will yes. Louise coming out on Netflix, and mm-hmm. which looks like such a fun and unique project. And I'm excited to see that one. When does that come out? That's going to come out next time. Uh, part of me next year sometime. Okay, great. I'm looking forward to that one for sure. So what do you think the biggest thing a producer and director can do to impact the industry for, for the best, to make it a better place to work? I absolutely, first and foremost, think that we should lead by example. I think even any lead in a company, any executive, um, really, really needs to be able to do that and have respect. Mutual respect is very, very important to me. Also being empathetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. We, we, we also talked a little earlier about willing to listen to people and being receptive to feedback. And also what's really, really important is to have accountability. So we all know that things aren't going to go in the way that we want all the time. You know, the pathway is not always straight and narrow. There's going to be different detours. There's going to be different modes of transportation. If things don't go well, then we need to own up and say, okay, it didn't go well. We need to do things maybe differently Mm -hmm. or figure out a different plan or whatever it may be. And also, you know, it's so important to let your crew know how much you appreciate them to say, thank you to say a job well done especially if there were some difficulties in terms of getting some quotas out and deadlines met a lot of people think that has to be monetary but I, I i feel and this is very subjective on my part that intrinsic rewards um, in terms of showing appreciation by saying thank you is much more important than extrinsic of course extrinsic helps yeah. in terms of helping with overhead and things like that yeah yeah but a simple thank you is, is so important. Yeah. Well, in, in our, in our society where people can just kind of go where they want now, it, the job market has just changed over the years where you only spend about two years at the most at a company. I was only able to spend six months at Braun, which again was, was kind of unfortunate, but you know, it was, it was wonderful. I was there, but it seems like the thing, the reason that people go is, is more a feeling it's more intrinsic. Yes. They want to be paid a certain amount of money, but sometimes it is about the project. 
It is about, oh, this environment is really good, and I've heard it's a good place. And and when companies are bad to work for, that news travels as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's true. And people get warnings, and they say, be careful when you work at that company, and you know, just kind of manage this and manage that. That's what happens among us artists. So, mm-hmm. yeah, interesting. I really like that, though. I, I love the, the idea of leading out by example as awesome. well. And I so I, I do have a, a little bit of a a pushback inside of me and and I'll kind of go into it and you can tell me what you think about it. But it seems to me when I worked at all the studios, when I worked and did overtime, so at my first studio I worked at, it was at Rhythm and Hughes and somebody said, yeah, overtime doesn't actually make us faster. And I thought that's a weird thing to say. You're working more. How would it not make you faster? But I observed with how my energy works. If I worked overtime, I actually started slowing down. And so I was able to, as an artist, find this sweet spot where I didn't have to really do overtime. And sometimes I just, I would just to have camaraderie with the team. But when I did that, I actually would slow down the next day. But I was still one of the highest, highest on output. So to me as a director, I don't know if I want to ask people to do overtime. And I don't, and, I, and I've often heard that, you know, lead out by example. I've often heard that used with directors saying, yeah, I have to work overtime because my crew is working overtime. But I don't know that I really want to do that. What, what do you think about that? I, you know, it's, it's interesting that you said that. And one of the things is, you know, I've been in in a management position for over 20 years right now. Yeah. And I have to always remember that not everybody works in the same way that I do, meaning that not everybody can work eight hours straight or 10 hours straight Mm -hmm. and doing that over time that's necessary Mm -hmm. uh, or or can people perceive as necessary, I should say. And and so, I mean, I mix some people can be productive. It's just depending on the capacity and some people aren't. For me is, you know, I can work, I can work quite a lot straight, but then you also have to have that reprieve and downtime. Some Um, white space. Yeah, we have we have to we have to do that as human beings and just making sure that we have outlets for stress and things like that. So is it necessary? It depends on the situation. (laughs) Also, it depends um, on the person, whether they have the capacity to do so. So sometimes things that are perceived as overtime doesn't necessarily mean that even if an individual, myself included, is working or at the studio for 12 or 14 hours, it doesn't mean that I'm consistently working and looking at my screen that whole time. Yes. Times that I'm on the telephone taking a call or I go outside and I, and, and, you know, I uh, take a walk or I go and have lunch and things like that. And it, and, and, and it could, if, if over, it depends on what the definition of overtime is, is spending 12 hours in front of the screen or is it 12 hours at the studio? Yeah, that's a very good point. Thank you. (laughs) So if you were, now we talked a bit beforehand about my efforts and I'm, you know, building pitch after pitch. Sometimes it's a book. Sometimes I do have some pitches that aren't, aren't books. What would you, what advice would you give to somebody at my level who's done directing, wants to direct a feature? What advice would you give to someone like me on how to get to a point where I can direct a, an original feature film? Um, I think is, you know, Scott, you've been in the industry for a little while is, you know, talk to people in the industry, talk to people that have had similar journey, a similar journey to what you're aspiring to do. Yeah. And, and, and from multiple studios, meaning is look at um, studios that are service providers, content providers, mm-hmm. talk to creatives that have done things individually and, and how they've been able to not just gain the momentum, but also to sustain um, what they're trying to do and aspiring to do. Yeah. Um, 
doing research otherwise as well in terms of, okay, so this, I have this book here, I want to direct it. And how am I going to go about doing that is, okay, I've done the research, I talked to people and whatever else, but I, the research meaning that I've looked on things online. And there's, there's one thing that you and I talked about earlier is the volatility of our industries. Mm -hmm. There's, there's no surefire way of succeeding and success yeah. is obviously subjective as well. Yeah. Some people are very happy, you know, in terms of um, doing a nine to five job and that's it. And they don't want a leadership role and they're very happy and they're very content. Others like yourself want to be a director um, and you, and you are very well accomplished as well. You have multiple things on the go and I don't know how you do it and juggle what you do <laughs> in terms of the books that you have out there yeah. too. So the advice that I can give you is one, is talk to people in the industry, people that you worked with before, people that you trust in as well that can give you honest, genuine uh, answers, mm -hmm. doing the research and looking at other people's sort of trajectory in their careers, how they've done that. Also making sure that if you're going to pitch something and you want to be directing is making sure that you highlight your skills, your assets, your experience, your expertise first and foremost, and um, making sure that when you do have a deck of any sort in terms of a presentation yeah. that it's as thorough as it can be yeah i like <laughs> oh, boy <laughs> what, what do i ask from that that was that was really good yeah so maybe this is a question that i just reach out to you later and i ask what all needs to go into a pitch deck because i have pitch decks for for some of the projects there's some that it just won't like there's one that it won't work as a book it's a musical it right. is a musical and it just will only work as a musical and so it's like i can't ever do this one as a book so mm -hmm. what i did for that one was a pitch deck and it was it was a little tricky for us to know exactly what needed to go into the pitch deck we have a lot of research in there about like how much the the film would cost versus how much it can make how much other films in a comparable zone and a comparable type how much they make in, in comparison with our production. And then, yes, the different assets that we have and the, the actual story that we want to tell and kind of the process that we would take the investors through and, and that sort of thing. Is there anything else that you would, beside that list, that you would think would need to go in there? No, I think I think that's great. You know, what I like, uh, because I'm such a visual person, is I love visual concepts. Yeah, yeah. I like, you know, and, and I like and I like things to, to look sort of stimulating in terms of the creativity and, you know, just in and also just in terms of the vision of whether it would be 2d or whether it would be a CG or mm -hmm. a blend of both. And, you mm -hmm. know, even talking about later on in post in terms of effects and things like that, what are you thinking about and doing? And also, um, because I'm not technically savvy is just understanding <laughs> what type of technical pipeline is going to be used. Right. Um, whether it's a game engine pipeline or whether it's a traditional pipeline for full length theatrical film too. So, I mean, that get, that's getting a bit into the minutia. But it's a good minutiae, though. <laughs> well, what I've learned is that the game engine pipeline is quite efficient um, in terms of time and the number of people that need to be on a particular project, which I didn't didn't know about. Yeah. And the quality bar um, may not get to the same point as some of the major studios out there, but it's pretty darn close, and particularly if it's for TV. And getting better, um, for sure. It's even better. So just really understanding a little bit, and again, ask people yeah. people are 
and willing to help, even if it's just in an email, it's a few lines. And then you can also say that if you don't have the time to, you know, and I understand that you're busy, given that you're working on, you know, whatever project it is, is can you refer me to somebody else that has some knowledge, that has some expertise on this? Yeah. Well, and I'm glad you did mention the, because with this particular pitch deck that I'm talking about, I, I haven't decided whether it's going to be 2D or CG, because I'm trying to figure out what kind of budget we can actually get. Yeah. And so I thought maybe budget would indicate that. I've actually, fortunately, I've worked in games, feature film, in CG, and, and I have worked in 2D. And right. so I have run the gamut. So I do understand the workflows that are required. Yeah. <laughs> so should I specify in the pitch deck whether I want it to be 2D or CG, or is that important? Well, it depends on who you're pitching to. So if yeah, you're trying to raise sense. financing for a film yeah. and you say, I want $10 million as opposed to $500,000, I'm arbitrarily throwing out numbers. You know, um, you look at, obviously there's more factors involved is you say, okay, $10 million seems like a lot of money, but how have you brought it down to $500,000? And then you say X, Y, and Z. And, and then also I can have more efficiencies um, in terms of workflow and whatever it may be. So that's just a way of looking at it. I don't think necessarily um, you have to have such a detailed um, presentation to include that, but sometimes it helps, sometimes it doesn't, depending yeah. on who you're pitching to and, and what you're trying to pitch. What are you trying to, to get? from this particular pitch. Yeah, well, that's all very useful. Very useful to know. So now we're going to have a segment we'll always do on the show. It's called the Get Wiser Moment. <laughs> and someday there will be a jingle. I practice a couple, but I don't like how they sound. So, And I can sing, but I'm not going to right now. <laughs> <laughs> someday. Someday we'll have some music for it. But So what moral responsibility, if any, in terms of story, actually, in terms of messaging, what moral responsibility, if any, does a director have to the world culture? I think um, as a director and a producer, because traditionally Braun has been a content provider, so we are responsible for the content that we are putting out there and people are consuming, mm -hmm. is this is this is my subjective opinion. That's okay, and that's what this is meant to be. <laughs> we, we've had some people get religious in, in this topic. We've had some people get philosophical on this topic. It's, it's up to you. We really want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> for so. me, and um, it's... What's really, really important to me is making sure that there's representation. And I know that's sort of broad, and that doesn't necessarily just mean to have more females in our animated projects, but also to look at young people and mm -hmm. have them in roles that traditionally you wouldn't see and if there's a moral to the story so for instance if they're dealing with bullying or self-esteem is showing them how they can overcome this in a way that's sometimes not conscious um i think <laughs> that's that's really important but the representation also could have to do with ethnic groups it mm -hmm. can have to do with people that don't have access to resources whether that's poverty or education um that you know obviously is a from not having enough money to get a good education or access to money that could help them in some capacity. I think that also a responsibility for me is that themes that can travel, meaning that there's a universality to those, mm -hmm. those themes. So it's not just necessarily North American themes, mm -hmm. but we also look at things that affect other places in the world. And I think that's what's, that's my responsibility. That's what I would like to do. So the two things is universality in terms of themes, uh, more representation, 
having more inclusion, um, mm-hmm. and, 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 and also having stories out there that don't have that predictability that make people <laughs> think and that to have a conversation that continues well beyond the medium that it is consumed on. Yeah, that's, that's a great answer. And it, it does seem now I'm not sure about this, but it seems to me that nowadays, a lot of the films coming out, they, it's like a commentary on society now, right? Where you look at these films and these stories, like the story of Merlin, the magician, or the story of Robin Hood, or the story of, you know, all these films that just, uh, the story of the Joker, which is a film that you you helped produce as well, that's now in theaters, you know? So there's, there's these stories that just catch on and, and they just keep coming back because there is a universality to it. It seems to me that, that if you could look past what's going on in society just a little bit, I mean, what's important, it is important to know what's going on in society. It is important to figure out solutions to that, but it seems like everybody's doing that. It seems like there's something a lot more human and a lot more beneath the surface that we can touch on. Uh, what do you think of that? <laughs> am I, am I way off in my thinking or is it, is it something that resonates with you? You think that you, to answer your question, um, is things, people, a lot, lot more people are doing that is what you're saying. Yeah, it seems like everybody's, uh, a lot of the content that's coming out right now is commentary on societal issues now, mm-hmm. where the stories that will last are the ones that have something on a deeper level, that there's more universality to it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think that, I think a lot more people are doing it because it has been problematic and nobody wanted to talk about it before. Yeah. So we're bringing it to light. We're, we're, we're making sure that people understand that these are real time issues and they're not going to go away. Mm-hmm. It's important to identify that, but also to, to have or to give people a better understanding that these are the reasons sometimes where people act in a certain way or conduct themselves in a certain way. It's not necessarily all their fault. Maybe it has to do something with their, their social environment. Maybe it has something to do with mental illness. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of different factors that come into play. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my hope is that it will be long and withstanding in terms of these types of projects that will, that will people will put out there to the world just so that people you know to help people and to talk about things and to do something is really really important and if you can see it on screen i think that's all the much better and, and it doesn't have to be preachy it doesn't have to be right. in your face yeah <laughs> um and i think that's really important especially with our young people who will turn off really quickly if it ends up being like it's a lecture of some sort mm-hmm. yeah um, so my hope is is that you know people do it and do it in a creative way whereby people don't feel like okay oh my god it's the same thing over and over again mm-hmm. it would be very interesting to see how people are clever in terms of getting that out there and and making sure that it resonates and it resides um for a long time yeah well it seems to me that uh, the way you do it without being preachy is is dramatizing it don't have your don't have your characters saying the things you you need to say to the world have the drama actually play it out yes have it have it demonstrate and have it demonstrate both sides of the arguments in a balanced way so that yeah you're going to come to a conclusion but maybe there's other things and and like you said that earlier that you want people to be talking about the story and and the concepts in the story long after they saw the film Absolutely. And also just to make sure that you not just to make sure, but just it it would be great if there is 
a resolution of some sort at the end of a, a movie yeah. or an end of some form of content and things like that, just because we want people to have hope. And then that's what's really, really important. Mm-hmm. And we want to empower them and we want to inspire them and we want to support them. And I think that that is first and foremost, um, particularly with our young people that can lose hope really quickly and don't feel like they have that support, whether it's from their peers, whether it's from their parents, whether it's from their teachers or uh, the greater society as a whole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's great. I, and I, I even think... Um, the resolution doesn't always have to be a happy ending, right? So we have a Sunset Boulevard was a film that obviously, you know, from the beginning, it's going to have a sad ending. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching that film and sitting down. And I think I mentioned this on, on former, a former podcast. I think I mentioned this on the first episode, but it was interesting that I sat down with my wife and I said, I need to make some changes. And I almost couldn't articulate it. <laughs> this, we had to have this whole conversation. It took me a while to even figure out what that film was saying to me, but I knew that there was there was a message there that uh, was going to change my life, and and that was that was quite a remarkable thing. It's a black and white film. It's not dazzling like the new films coming out nowadays, and yet it had it, it packed a punch. So yeah, well, I think yeah. you and I talked earlier about it does not have to be dazzling, right? Yeah, people that are watching these things don't necessarily just because they're they're so intelligent, they're so savvy, they need to see something that's genuine. To yeah. Feel real that they can connect to. I think that's also very, very important. So in terms of messaging, it doesn't have to be flashy and, you know, sparkly <laughs> and whatever else and yeah. as, as, as pretty as, you know, things are out there. We, we, you know, we want to make sure that it just, it's, it can be super clean. It can be super simple. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have messaging in various different formats. So I think that's important. And also Scott, yeah. what's also important is possibly with some of these projects and what I'm going to be doing and working hard towards is having accompanying pieces or foundational support or charitable support with some of these these projects as well because sometimes people feel compelled to help so it's not necessarily people going oh yeah that's me and I need help but also how people can help and so sometimes they don't know where to help after a movie is finished or a show is finished mm-hmm. oh great well thank you it's been such a pleasure your answers are wonderful and, and insightful and I, I think I have to listen to this over again to get everything out of it there was but, a lot <laughs> yeah 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 well there's a lot to it and that's why we'll keep having these conversations and um, like you said to be having these kinds of conversations that's the key to not only me, I, me succeeding but our audience members succeeding and and people of various walks of life being able to succeed with with their dreams and the things that they want to do. So thank you so much. So where, where would you like people to connect to you if you would like that? (laughs) Um, you can connect to me on, um, Instagram at Brenda a Gilbert. Great. And, uh, I'm Scott K Weiser on Instagram. I have scottweiser.com slash follow is my email list. I'll have all those links down in the show notes and, uh, yeah. Thank you everybody for being here. And we look forward to the next episode. Thank Which you, will uh, will be actually with Robert Kondo. He co-founded Tonko House, and they've done some really remarkable projects. And and I also will uh, be able to post the videos, I think, from the panels I moderated at CTNX. So, yeah, sorry I interrupted you. You were saying goodbye. <laughs> I was saying thank you. <laughs> yes, and thank you. <laughs> Take care. You have been watching the Directing Animation Livecast, hosted by Scott Weiser, produced by Lauren Shaken, copyright Scott Weiser, LLC, 2019.